He will be Tampa's mayor one day. Because we're going to bring changes that we've never had or seen in the city of Tampa. And maybe even president of the United States. You may not have heard of Guido Maniscalco before, but you will. We discuss everything from politics to philosophy to history, pollution, and trying to solve all that ails the human race. And there's times that I just want to give up. He also discusses the future of Tampa. We've restructured some debt, lots of investments in neighborhoods, lots of new amenities. We approved the funding for the body cameras in the hundreds. Help our police. We all have a, we all have a breaking point, a snapping point. We're looking at taking a million dollars and investing in mental health. Then more people were testing positive. I said, I don't want blood on my hands. Life is priceless. It shouldn't be like this. It's my pleasure to introduce you to my good friend and Tampa's future mayor, Guido Maniscalco of the Tampa City Council. Did you get it the first time? No, I came in last place. Fifth out of fifth. You're a success story, which is why I want you in here, because you, you came in last, but did you run the race again? You got back up on your feet and you ran it again. Tell us about it. I took the advice and the criticism that I uh, received in that first campaign I applied that in the next election, which was in 2015. There's a little more credibility. I was a little older. Yeah. When, I, um, when I won in 2015, I was 30. Alexander the Great was only 32 when he died, and he'd already conquered the Western world. So That's things can be done when you're young. I'm behind. I wanted to start <laughs> young for a reason, but uh, you know, I'm past 32 now. Since I met you, I think you're going to go places. That, you know, I could see you're the kind of guy... Could be mayor one day, senator one day, maybe even president one day, or maybe not if you don't want to. But I think that you you could if you wanted to, because I think you, you're just a good person who who cares about what they're doing for the city. Thank you, I appreciate that. So you could you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure, I'm born and raised here in Tampa, but I'm a first generation American. So I'm the son of immigrants. I'm the proud son of immigrants. My mom is. Uh, was a Cuban refugee along with my grandparents. They fled Cuba after Castro in 59. They stayed a little bit. And by six, end of 61, you know, it was, it was a disaster in Havana. Um, so they came here and my mom has been here since. My father's from Sicily, came here in 1981, met my mother, married her the year later. So I was raised in a household of uh, speaking Spanish, speaking Italian. That's great. My dad made it a point. He told my mom when they got married, I'm going to only speak to our kids in Italian. And my dad to this day only speak in Italian. My mom and I speak English, but along that, I learned Spanish with my grandmother, with my mom and everything. But the best part is the food. So, <laughs> you know, sure. there's Spanish cuisine, Cuban cuisine, great. Italian, Sicilian. So you you tell me, you know, paella one day, uh, spaghetti the next day, Cuban sandwich another day. Tell us what got you involved in politics. If I think back, I think it was maybe observing as a teenager the 2000 presidential election. With that, I said, you know, what a mess. We can't even figure out who the president is. You know, the hanging <laughs> chads and, the, and the ca recounting the ballots yeah. and this and that. And I always admired John F. Kennedy. I always admired... Robert F. Kennedy. I admired Franklin Roosevelt. Um, I admired Ronald Reagan. I admired um, President Eisenhower and uh, and Harry Truman as well. You know what a wonderful way to give back to the country that gave my family everything. 
and and again i liked history and i was always and i still do because i have a huge amount of them old life magazines from the 60s and 50s and 70s and you know seeing these pictures and people in the crowds and listening to these speeches and you know feeling inspired and i said well you know maybe one day i can run for congress and then from congress i can run for this and then i can run for president and i would actually be running for president right now had the timeline fit the 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 ideas that i had you know i would be like a pete buddha judge i met dick greco when i was a teenager he was mayor at the time his mother and my grandmother were, were good friends for a very, very long time. And my mom would tell me about Dick Greco when he was mayor in the 1960s. You know, he and his wife, young, handsome couple, beautiful family, so charismatic, the way he talks and this and that. And I go, why would I want to go up to the presidency when I can do so much here locally and what I do affects people locally and I'm close to the people? It's not, well, I'm going to be in Washington. So here I am and... I was blessed that the voters allowed me the opportunity in 2015 and then again in 2019 when I got reelected to serve. Let's talk about the challenges that are facing Tampa right now. Obviously, we got a ton of them. Yep. And then I'd like to, after that, go back to a positive note and talk about your vision for the future of Tampa. First of all, what would you say are the top three main challenges facing the city of Tampa right now? We grew ourselves out of the Great Recession. Um, our numbers we're back to what they were at pre-recession levels. Our credit and bond ratings are still very high, some AA, many AAA uh, bond and credit ratings. So our finances are good. good. Um, And then we get hit with COVID-19, which put the world at a standstill. We have civil unrest now. Um, It's amazing, you know, what a difference a year makes, what a difference six months makes. Um, it's hard to remember sometimes because we're so used to everything that's been happening because it's been happening for months and months and months. Um, you know, we don't have events that we go to. It's not luncheons. Everything is virtual. City council has been meeting virtually. It's the threat of positive coronavirus testing and the numbers and wearing the mask as we're wearing the mask right now, even, even as we're recording this. Yeah, we can't give each other a hug. We can't shake hands. We can't share drinks. We can't go out to eat. We were going to do this in a restaurant. Yeah, no, it's, that's, those were the old days. It is. And uh, maybe things will get better by Christmas. Yeah, maybe know. things get back to normal in a year. But, um, you know, with the civil unrest, these are global marches, marches throughout the entire country in huge right. numbers. Rodney King was huge. I was already out of college, so I remember it well. But this is this is way more intense. This is, I don't know, the this biggest is, since the nineteen. It is. It, it, is. it definitely is. You know, it's historical. We're living through this. We'll be talking about COVID nineteen. We'll be talking about the civil unrest for the rest of our lives. I think two things. Because you cannot have change without chaos. It forces people to change. Look at the sixties. Some good things came out of that at the end of the day. And I would like to think that maybe out of all this horrible nightmare, at the end of the day, in a few years, something good comes out of it. I don't know what that good is going to be right now. Maybe somebody in 10 years that finds this on the archives of the Internet can go, yeah. And the chaos is, you know, the people in the streets. And I don't call them protesters. They're people. They're people. They're activists. They're people that believe in something. They're people that want to be heard. They're people that speak out. And the First Amendment says that they have that right. So 
This is this is a normal thing going back to the times of George Washington, you know, people in the streets, people protesting against the King of England, you know, wanting independence, how this country was founded. Um, this is nothing new. It's just it's new to some people, because, again, when was the last time we had something at this scale? This kind of stuff is nothing new. In fact, we're lucky in this country, in this society, in this age to have is monostability that you and I have seen in our lives up to this point. I think the the key is for people to not just give up and lose hope. Because when you lose hope, then you stop trying to make good in this world and you start getting desperate. You're right. And there's times that I just want to give up. Yeah. You know, I mean, we sure. all feel overwhelmed to yes. the point where, you know, you get criticized for everything you do. Whatever you do is not enough. There's always a sarcastic response from somebody. There's always a criticism, but that's a, that's a part of life. I mean, there's highs and lows. And I think back to my family, you know, my mother coming from Cuba with my grandparents. And I go, what was it like? And she said, pack a suitcase and go to China. And I go, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> and she says, do you speak Chinese? No, uh, well, we didn't speak English. Do you know anybody in China? No, well, we don't know anybody here. That's tough. And I said, well, that's a good analogy. Mm -hmm. They lived in Miami briefly, and then they came to Tampa, and they lived in Robles Park in public housing. They rented a home for a couple of years, and my grandfather was able to buy a, a home. I look at them, and they started from zero. They gave up everything because they had a nice middle-class life in Cuba, and they had to give it up. You know, I mean, my grandfather's business was confiscated, everything he worked for at that point. Um, they left their home. I look at them, I mean, and how resilient they were. And I go, there's nothing that I can't handle, essentially. My grandfather grew up in Sicily before going to Cuba and meeting my grandmother there. And he had World War II. Uh, he, he and his brothers were pilots over there. He came over to Cuba, and from Cuba he came here. I mean, he lost everything wow. multiple times. And what ended up getting my grandfather in the end were, were health issues. Things will get better. I don't know when. But if you lose hope, then what's, you know, then what's the point? It sounds like the two biggest challenges right now for the city of Tampa are COVID and the civil unrest. Yep. So can you steer us on the city's plan if you feel comfortable on, on, on what's what, what's the way forward and specifically too if you could focus a bit on uh police reform so we passed the budget uh last week you know it's better to say reform the police restructure the police let's help our police to be to be better Amen. to work better with the community so help we the did police huh help the police help the police be better you know but um, right. in that, you know, we're discussing the Citizens Review Board, which uh, handles complaints of the police department. We're actually going to discuss reforming that this Thursday. We're looking at taking a million dollars and investing it in mental health. So when police get calls for nonviolent uh, situations, somebody that has mental health training can be there to de-escalate a situation instead of police officer with a gun. Um, which may not always solve the situation, may increase the, the volatility of the situation. So we're taking steps to do better um, from our position as city council member in, into how we can help the police, how we can help the police with the community, interacting with the community. Um, being a police officer is a very stressful job. Um, I think the mayor has been responsive. 
I think city council, we're not a do-all group. And um, we're trying to be wise yet bold at the same time because we're going to bring changes that we've never had or seen in the city of Tampa. I think we have reasonable voices on the city council. With the financial situation with the city of Tampa, to be more specific, we've restructured some debt um, to free up some money so we could move forward and balance the budget and not have layoffs and significant cuts. We did pass a very healthy, good budget with lots of investments in neighborhoods, lots of new amenities. I think the previous administration with Mayor Buckhorn was very uh, responsible. I wanted to go back on a couple of things because I don't, I, I don't want to gloss over them because I think you, you raised a couple interesting points and I wanted to put in my two cents on a couple of things from my observations. I think in the United States in general, as a society, and it may be true in other countries, I don't know, I haven't worked in other countries, everybody's overworked. Everybody's overstressed. And it's part of the MBA training that even I had, which is to basically squeeze the heck out of every asset you have until you found the breaking point and then throttle back a tiny bit. And as human beings, I think in our modern society where we're being way overworked and everybody's trying to save a buck, I think with the police, it's just my opinion, you tell me what you think, they, they're overworked, they're overstressed, and they don't have the proper mental health resources and training on how to de-escalate, and they just reach their snapping point. We all have a we all have a breaking point, a snapping point, and um, you know the thing with a police officer is if you go to the Citizens Police Academy, you get a glimpse, you get a little sampling of of what it's like, but or do a ride along with a police officer. A police officer pulls somebody over for speeding. You don't know what that situation is going to exactly. be like, or someone runs a stop sign, or they have so many mechanisms in place to protect themselves, just how they approach a vehicle, right. how they touch the back of a vehicle. So that, you know, if the car drives off, they have fingerprints on that vehicle. Um, and you don't know if the person's just going to start shooting at you or jump out of the car and shoot at you. Or if it's a person with a warrant who is in fear, they don't want to go to jail and who knows what they'll do. And in you've those got situations. a split second to try to figure that out. Exactly. And the police officer now has to radio for backup, pull his firearm, you know, if it escalates to something like that, you don't know um, because we're not put in those kinds of situations. You know, I mean, we're not wearing that uniform. We don't know. Right. So there is that. I mean, you bring up a good point. It's are they are they worn out? Are they worn down? Are they fatigued like someone who's in war? The police officer that puts on the uniform and is in that patrol car. Um, it's a different kind of stress, just like a firefighter. You know, you get a call at any moment and you don't know if you're going to run into a building that's on fire, you're going to rescue people, or you walk into scenes where it's people that are dead. Or you know, I talked to some officers that had worked the Pulse Massacre in Orlando. And, uh, I mean, it was Terrible. unbelievable. People that worked 9-11. I mean, just the Terrible. things that they... So, you know, you look at the stress of the soldier, you look at the stress of the police officer, and you have to take that into account. And you have to ask, are we getting enough mental health resources that you know we're we're helping these people what are you hearing from the police on how they can improve the police i i you know i've heard morale is down um you know they people don't have our backs like we thought they did um you know some feel abandoned some are retiring early in some cities that have defunded the police um 
police have, have left, officers have resigned and, and left, but perhaps more training and de-escalation. Um, but what is that? Sometimes you can't de-escalate. How do you de-escalate somebody that doesn't want to put the gun down or is coming at you with a right. knife or they're not going to listen to reason for whatever reason? Right. Um, perhaps more training, perhaps... Well, it doesn't seem like more training could hurt except for the, the budget. Yeah, I mean, but, but, but at the end, it's money, and it's money that's invested and well spent, I think. And I that agree. investment could help save certain situations from, from exploding and, and, you know, getting worse than they should be. If you spend a million dollars on training, it's better than spending $2 million on a civil rights case because someone who could have maybe had the proper training wouldn't in a, in a life right. that was lost over it. You're right. You're right. And I the mean, reputation that gets lost. A major settlement being paid out to the family of someone that was killed at the hands of police could cost a fortune. Look at the Breonna Taylor situation. I mean, that was... 13, and the life itself is invaluable, and that's the only one gets that. Exactly. You but can't, just if you want to just be completely with money, it's still money well spent. Yeah. I mean, what does it hurt just to invest a million dollars, then pay out... $10 million, and you have somebody that's dead that's never going to come back. That's the thing. I mean, you can't put a, a dollar amount on life. No. You can assume, you know, over the period of their life at this job, they would have earned so much. But still, that's a foolish way to, to appraise somebody. Um, you know, life is priceless. And, um, and that's how we should look at it. Well, we have cool. plans with... Uh, investing in the mental health hiring people that are mental health professionals bring people and train them where they're prepared to work with any kind of situation so it doesn't get violent one of the changes that you guys i believe you've implemented is uh the body cams i'll tell you my experience with the city of tampa with body cams over the last 15 years or so doing Various cases, it's extremely frustrating when you know there's a camera in Ebor and you send a subpoena for that footage and suddenly it magically didn't work. Or, you know, why can't we have body cams? I mean, a, a GoPro costs a couple hundred bucks and there, there, there's the evidence without people's fallible memories or, uh, or worse deviance on either side making accusations. Why can't we as a citizen? Just see the video, which is worth well, pictures worth a thousand words. I say a video is worth a million words. Uh, what do you think about the the body cams? We approved the funding for the body cameras in the hundreds to be um, put on officers. We had a pilot program with just several dozen um, before that, but a couple months ago we approved the funding for. Body cameras and tasers. And you think, well, why did you waste all that money on tasers? I'd rather be tased than be uh, shot. I don't think it's a waste of money. You know, I mean, I'm sorry. Some people get unruly. So you don't know, but I'd rather be tased of than course. shot. Right? So with the body cameras, uh, it'll be a nice majority uh, will have the body cameras. And it's true. I mean, once the officer draws their weapon, the camera activates. Um, just like the camera on a, the dash cam in a police car activates when you turn the lights on. Um, well, let me play devil's advocate. Why, why not just activate it the whole time they're interacting? I don't, I don't know. I have to ask, uh, you know, they should, you know. Like, why not just have the video the whole time so we don't have to speculate and believe one side or the other? You're right. You're right. And that would be, you put everything to bed and hear the yeah. facts and that's it. And let the jury decide at that point. Exactly. Instead of the he said, she said. Let me give some kudos to the city of Tampa. I'm going to 
wind you back uh, 2006 and I'm living on Harbor Island and people come to visit and I want to show them downtown Tampa and it's a Saturday and there's tumbleweeds flying by some urine on the street and pretty much not a damn thing to do. You fast forward now, save COVID, we'll say January of 2020, and the city of Tampa is actually a pretty damn sweet place to walk around. It is. You fast forward now and it's families, it's people walking their dogs, it's business people in suits on their lunch breaks, it's, you know, I mean, the Riverwalk is spectacular. It connects armature works all the way down. You have museums along the way. Um, you have a lot of green space, Julian B. Lane Riverfront Park on one side, Curtis Sixon, you have the Stras, you have the Tampa Museum of Art, the Children's Museum, the Photography Museum. Then you go down towards where you are at Harbor Island, and right off there is the Tampa Bay History Center and all that Water Street development. Yeah. All these new hotels, these new high-rises. We have new hotels being built. And the wharf. Uh, Sparkman Wharf is something new that people go to. But it's not an issue of there's nothing to do downtown. No, I can't get a parking space downtown. <laughs> well, I was going to take you there next. So as, as a, as a white-collar businessman in the city of Tampa, and at one time it took me two hours to go from West Chase to, to park and walk into my office. I'm like, this is like, like L.A. I've lived in L.A. and Boston. I'm like, this has gotten L.A. and Boston bad. What can we do, in your opinion, to make it so that I can efficiently get to work? I supported the Offer Transportation Initiative, which is in court now, waiting on a judge's decision, so I can't go into too much detail on it. But I supported it because it would have been a 30-year dedicated funding source that we could have addressed expanding the streetcar system, expanding the bus service, looking at building some kind of light rail, fixing our roads, building more sidewalks, connecting our city better so we could eliminate some of this gridlock. At the same time... We have so many new people moving to Tampa. Yes. It's, we're a victim of our success, but we've right. had traffic for years. You know, well, So yeah. there's no excuse. Say, oh, the new people are, are messing it up. We've had traffic forever and ever. Since I can remember as a kid, has it gotten worse? Yes. It's way worse. But you know, we're not a connected city as you would go to like a New York. Let me give you the example of like Boston. You park at a station. You get in the rail and it takes you into the gridlock. For example... You have a station in West Chase. I park my car. I get there reasonably quick because it's just driving to West Chase. I park my car. I get on the rail, and it scoots me into Tampa, and I don't force all that gridlock from tens of thousands of people all trying to park on Tampa Street at the same time at the same hour. Mm -hmm. Why don't we do that? Like we have a station outside in the suburb. Every suburb has a station. And you take a rail in on that station to downtown. It drops you off. That would be great. That would be great because you think about you take one car off the road, you know, if you because I've seen these images where they'll say how many people fit in a bus or how many people fit in light yeah, rail. And then you take that with 50 people or yeah. 50 cars. Yeah. And now you go, there's nobody on the road because everybody's in that public transportation mode. That's a way to go, you know, like a park and ride, right. but a real park and ride. Right. Like, you know, we service the Carrollwood area. We yes. service Odessa. We service, you know. And break it down from there, and it goes to the central area, which is what? Downtown, or it connects to the airport, or it goes to these hubs where, again, you don't need a car. Or you can park safely, cheaply, somewhere else, and that's it. Because you're wasting that two hours commute each way. That's a lot of gas. It's so frustrating, because by the time I get to my, my job, I'm so aggravated. 
that I'm having a hard time keeping my composure when someone picks up the phone and starts yelling at me as some legal issue because I just spent two hours fighting traffic, maybe almost getting hit three or four times, and I'm on edge, and so is everybody else. Yeah. Well, I'm going to take off the kid gloves, though. Doesn't it all boil down to uh, money in pocket A versus money in pocket B, the highway uh, construction industry versus the light rail construction industry, and maybe... We're whistling Dixie because the people who have the the money and the interest for the highways are never going to lose. They'll lose. It's just the the political courage. Since I got elected in 2015, I've consistently voted against TBX. I voted against TBX because Tell them what TBX is. It's widening the interstate. No, please. Two seventy five and adding express for toll the lanes. time. But it's adding express toll lanes, so if you're able and willing to pay for it, you can get in the express lanes. Meanwhile, you're demolishing tons of houses. You're cutting again through neighborhoods. And to do what? Because by the time it's done, so many more people will have moved here that you go, well, you know, it's still too much. We already have an express high occupancy or whatever it is lane on the veterans, but you still end up in the bottleneck of, okay, now I'm in Tampa. How do I get onto this street and park over here? Exactly. What is the point? You're going to be stuck on Dale Mabry traffic or Hillsborough Avenue traffic coming east, west, north, south, or you're going to be paying to be stuck on the veteran. I got to be honest with what you, What is dude. the point? Those, at some point, that that speed lane or whatever you guys call it still backs up at the same point as everybody else. It does. Life. And then you're stuck between a cement wall and you can't even exit. Can't imagine you and other people that have to fight that. Every day just to get to work. It's a glory to work from home because because of that. Because of that, the traffic thing, it drained like 50% of my energy. So therefore, my productivity level was less, which makes the city of Tampa less money. It's true. It's true. And that's you're one person. Imagine that multiplied by the hundreds of thousands. And it's a lot of money. At the end of the day, it's a lot of wasted, valuable resources because of the frustration of you know, this is not a way to live. Look at the uh, the philosophy of Camus and the absurdity of life. This all fits into it. It's like you wake up to sit in the traffic you hate. By the time you get to work, you hate your job. You're rude to people. Yeah. You've lost your appetite. You're cranky. You go back home and you do it all the and next day. You're like, and then, you know, years and years of that pass and you're, you, you get old and die. Well, you and know, you get health problems on the way because of the stress. There you go. Exactly. So it's like, is this, is, are we really living our best lives? No, we, life is simple. We complicate it. Whether it's civil unrest, whether it's financial stuff, whether it's getting stuck in traffic, it's like, we've created a lot of this and, and what? And at the end of the day, we're angry. We're all angry. And that's just foolish because it shouldn't be like this. We had a few in-person meetings. One of our colleagues Tested positive for COVID. I read that. We shut everything down. Then more people were testing positive. I said, I don't want blood on my hands. Yeah. I, you know, we go virtual. I understand it's an inconvenience to some of the developers and whatnot, but health of the people first. I don't want the responsibility of getting large groups of individuals sick. So it's been interesting. It's been uh, a 21st century chairmanship because it's all, you know, Cameras and computers and phones and... Well, it's a good thing that you're young because you know how to handle these these gadgets better than sure. this, us old folks. <laughs> sure. I mean, I've, you know, I've known computers since I was yeah. 10 years old, you know? But it's so volatile because uh, 
people are comfortable behind their computers and phones and they just insult each other and they fight and it just adds to the the discourse that we have now it's anonymous twitter accounts and it's just like what that civil discourse seems to be gone and when i was young in the 80s people would be republican or democrat it didn't really matter i mean like nowadays people are like threatening to kill each other over it it's like the the lack of discourse they right? don't people don't respectfully disagree it's if you don't give me what i want i'm going to destroy you uh, i'm going to come after you i don't know i don't know i mean I, I i have friends on all sides and you know once you get to know somebody you realize how much more in common you do have and the argument just yeah. just dies because you're like eh he's a nice guy she's a good lady she's a whatever you know you know that's true with race and ethnicity too though if you would just spend time with people of other cultures in your own, you start to realize, wait a minute, this guy or this gal, somebody that's a wonderful human being that has different food, different language, different whatever than I do. But so what? I mean, how boring would the world be? Well, there was a Twilight Zone episode and the guy didn't like diversity. I'm a, so, big, I'm a big Twilight Zone fan. I have all the episodes and I wonder <laughs> if it's like season four or something. I don't know. I remember watching as a kid, but the point was... He goes to work and suddenly everybody's him and it's a complete hell because everybody just is him. And so like the whole joy of life is like learning and seeing and, and, and meeting new people and different exposures. Like I, I'm confident we could get back to that in this country, but Maybe. we're not at that stage right now. No, I don't think you can hate somebody if you really tried, because at the end of the day, you're going to find things that you like in that person right. that you're like, eh, you just can't get yourself to hate him. Like, yeah, but we get along here. We have this in common <laughs> yeah. or we have. But the thing is, we're not taking the opportunity to get to know each other. Life is short. Why are we wasting so much time fighting? I did this training, which was worth four years of college. It was one day in Orlando when I was running for office. And it was basically how to be a political influencer. And the, the takeaway was people will get off their rump and vote. People will get off their rump and, and knock door to door. They'll get off their rump and make phone calls. In what state of mind? Anger and fear. So both parties are trying to make their constituents, their side, the other side, angry and fearful. And then the media, you're more likely to, to click or buy if it's stimulating that that fear and, and anger. And so the way I look at it is there are too many powerful influences from both parties and the media in general. And then social media, people love to repost things that make them scared and angry. And so now that's what we're getting artificially exposed to when real life isn't really like that. What do you think about that? We're so concerned about winning or selling newspapers that you know we're polluting people's minds and everything that you just said what would you rather click on the headline that says it's a beautiful day right. or you know dramatic mm -hmm. headline uh sarcastic comment scandal 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 people are going to click on scandal right. and they're going to buy the issue or whatever the copy of the paper the magazine or click the link because of that um how do you stimulate people and encourage them to go out and vote and 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 get up and, and get moving is what you said. The training was instill fear, instill fear. That's propaganda. It is propaganda. Um, you know. Unfortunately, it works. That's how it is historically. Uh, historically is. in Cuba with the rise of communism, yeah. with the rise of Hitler in Europe. Yeah. With the, I mean, 
That's how it is. You know, can you believe, you know, you find the enemy and then you go, he, they, she, whatever. They want to do this to you. They want to take away this from you. They want to, and you automatically hate them because I'm the solution, but I'm the solution. So believe in me, but you have that trigger. Okay. That is, you know, I hate this person. Why do you hate this person? Because he told me to hate this person and he told me how bad they were whether it's true or not right and that's the thing and you know i mean the media is you know i think about why don't we have a walter cronkite figure he gave the news and that was it yeah. and he would sign off with and that's the way it, that's is. The way it is and that's the way it is you know the sky is blue his suit is brown <laughs> the, the 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 rain is wet and that's the way it is. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, and he maintained his his emotion. Give the facts. Don't twist it because CNN says one thing. Fox says another thing. M- MSNBC agenda. opines in they one way. They have an way. agenda. We've taken it to a level where it's like it becomes hatred. You know, we want you to hate the person. We want you to turn against the person. And And why do we judge people on who they vote for? Good for you. You believe in one thing? Good for you. You disagree with that? Good for you, but we don't have to hate each other. If only everybody would think that way. But we don't, because we let our emotions get the best of us. And and here we are, constantly fighting. What is the future of Tampa? What are the, the exciting projects on the horizon? I think Tampa becomes more of an international city. And the, the reason I say that is because we have the best airport in the world. We have great sports, great airports, great neighborhoods. I think we have a good economy you know, you can come here and, 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 and get that American dream and make it a reality. Tampa's changing. I mean, we're, we're not that small town anymore. Now, people want to come here. They're coming here. We have great schools. We have the beaches close by. We have great sports teams and airport and on and on and on. Great restaurants. There's something for everybody. Yeah. You guys are expanding the river walk, Rob. Yes. Congresswoman Castor with uh, Mayor Castor. Um, discuss the $24 million in funding that's coming right, that we, to we're getting that. to expand that river walk. Where's so that's going to go? All the way north. To where? I don't know the exact plans, but um, it's to help complete it. So now we're connecting more neighborhoods. So everybody has access or more people have access to this gem because the river walk is, is wonderful. It's wonderful. One thing about the river that I, I would hope that the city of Tampa would look into, I'd always see all this trash floating in the river. And I thought... Is there a way that we can do like an organized cleanup or even hire like a full-time company to just come? Because tourists come, they throw their McDonald's cups in there, whatever. And it's just like even one cup floating down the river kind of, it's kind of like throwing a a piece of mud on a beautiful painting. It's like, yeah, yeah. What can we do to fix that? Because it's really disappointing. There's a lot of really nice wildlife in there too like dolphins and uh, manatee and other fish what we can do is a lot of trash goes through our stormwater system Uh, and just gets put out into the water so we can look at uh putting a grate or a grill at the entrance of these stormwater um, inlets but then it's all going to back up so well but i'd rather sweep a street yeah you know than have to fish it out at that end of the grid there's that i mean there's machines Mm -hmm. that i've seen that they just go down bodies of water and they just collect all the trash do we need to spend that kind of money should we just bring awareness to littering have more strict fines for littering, that's an issue that's come up, and especially in some neighborhoods, like on interstate, on-ramps and off-ramps. Yeah. We are looking at um, 
moving forward with banning styrofoam on city properties, single-use plastics. So like Gasparilla Music Festival, you won't be able to have styrofoam containers or cups or whatnot. Well, I appreciate anything you want to wrap it up with. No, that was great. It was a nice, nice conversation. So you got a lot of good stuff. I really appreciate you coming out. Sure. I look forward to when you're mayor one day. Huh. Maybe you'll remember me and let me have a... a I'll remember you. A, 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 an espresso with you. And we'll give a hug because there won't be a pandemic. All right. Anyway, thanks a lot, man. Sure. I appreciate it your time. It was fun. Thanks. Thank Good you. to see you. That's it for episode two. Thank you so much for listening to the Dave the Lawyer podcast. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with my friend Guido Maniscalco. Stay tuned for future episodes where I interview my friend Jerry, who took over the entire Southern California guitar market. Also, in future episodes, more discussions on civil unrest, the future of America, and things that we can do locally. Please tune in, subscribe, hit like, tell your friends. Thank you so much, and have a great rest of your day. It's the Dave the Lawyer Podcast.